science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it out. It was that golden moment because science was on my side. Hey everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true stories of how science has affected people's lives. This week's story is from Robin Dessel. The story was recorded in September 2013 at Littlefield in Brooklyn as part of a partnership with Everyday Health. The theme of the evening was aging. My story begins with yet another revelation in my own personal life. And that might seem somewhat commonplace to you when I tell you, but there's also an oddity about it. And the disclaimer or the commonplace is the fact that as a kid, I grew up with an awesome fear of aging, sickness, death, and dying. All of that to me was absolutely positively the look away. I couldn't imagine what it would be like to lose people that I loved in my life. And equating that with the aging process meant that every birthday that went by was another year closer to losing someone. And that's a tough place to be. The oddity factor comes in in that my career path led me to gerontology and work in the aging services industry. Now, I will say to you that aging and death and dying may be a little bit secondary right now to spiders and lightning in the fear category, but it's still very real to me. And so now on to my story, and I'm going to begin that by telling you about a love affair at the Hebrew home. And I've been at the Hebrew home for almost a quarter of a century. So this was a powerful revelation. And the story begins with Nate. Nate was admitted to the home. He was in his 80s. This was a gentleman with a multitude of health problems. Nate was someone who loved life and loved living in the community. He had been divorced. He had a number of girlfriends. Nate was a player, quite frankly. (laughs) Yeah, in spite of the fact that he was in his 80s, he was truly a player. Now, I will tell you, I could go on and on about his long list of health problems. What I would rather do is tell you more about the life he lived and the fact that Nate was dapper. He was tall, dark, and handsome. He had piercing blue eyes, and he had a devilish grin. And I sort of equate him to a David Niven or maybe a Cary Grant. And then, you know, to those of you who don't know David Niven and Cary Grant, I just aged myself remarkably. What I will tell you is that It was sort of, they're the Bradley Coopers of their day. (laughs) And then that kind of evens things out. So Nate was someone that was admitted to the Hebrew home. And from the moment he set foot on Hebrew home soil, this man was surrounded by a bevy of women. And clearly, there are always more women than there are 
in the healthcare system, and I don't want to make commentary about that right now because it doesn't look so great for you guys. But what I will say, I will say if you make it there, you certainly will be popular, and Nate was. <laughs> And in telling you this, I also want to add the fact that while Nate was a player, he was not necessarily moved by anyone he met. None had won his heart until he met Fran. And now a bit about Fran. Fran was admitted to the nursing home. She was tiny, but she was every bit a lady. This was a woman who had a winning smile, bright eyes, gorgeous coiffed hair, made up to the nines, dressed to the nines, and clearly, clearly, maybe on the hunt, but also very gracious, almost Southern in her mentality. She truly had a tough life. She had married the one and only love of her life who she met in high school, and that love of her life unfortunately died decades earlier and she raised her kids alone. And her kids considered her to be a remarkable mother, a remarkable parent, and a, a lover of life. However, she was battling depression, and it really wasn't safe for her to live at home any longer, and so she was admitted to the Hebrew home, also in her 80s. Now, after decades of being single, decades, and having dated, but none could win her heart. Here she was in the nursing home thinking, well, I pretty much had my time. I pretty much done it and it's over. Not so much. What then happened was her floor mates convinced her that there was a sweetheart's dance that she had to attend. And again, she walked in like a princess. And the moment she walked into the dance, who was on the other side of the dance floor but Nate? And their eyes met across a crowded floor. And truth be known, lo and behold, Nate, who was walker dependent, set his walker aside, strut across the dance floor, right over to Fran, and said, may I have this dance? In Nate's words, the rest was history. And in Fran's words, that was it. She never wanted him to let go after he took her in his arms. And the two of them started a very real relationship, what I call a twilight love affair, in this nursing home, in this place, which is life's last stop, your last tour in a life's journey where you go when age and infirmity have overtaken you. These are all of the fears, again, that I lived with and all of the associations that I made about aging and about nursing homes and anything remotely akin. Here were these two, Nate and Fran, in the throes of a twilight love affair. Now, where do I come into the scene? And we're not talking menage a trois. <laughs> Okay, you know, we do, in, in honesty, know that nursing homes are there to provide the best of medical and nursing care, and that is a mission of care. Well, the mission of care 
didn't exactly have a proviso for love affairs and what you do with sexual activity in a nursing home. And so, as the sexual rights educator, or as I'm fondly known at the Hebrew home, the sexpert, <laughs> I was called onto the scene. And when I tell you called, I am telling you that my voicemails were full, my emails were threatening that I would lose my privileges if I didn't clean my box, if I didn't empty out and purge, because the staff were beside themselves. They didn't know what to do. They had never come upon this, love and sexual activity in the nursing home. You know, it was, it was brand new. There's no curriculum. There's no training. There's, there's no knowledge and preparation. And they were saying to me, should there even be sex in the nursing home? And should older adults, I thank you very much. As I've come to learn, yes, and there will be whether we want it or not. You know, and, and then it went on, should older adults living in a nursing home be having sex at their age? Is it safe? Are they still willing, able, and interested? And then, should nursing homes bear responsibility for planning for the sexual rights and needs of their residents? Now, I asked Siri, because I figured if anybody, <laughs> truly, if anybody knows how to answer this question, it's gonna be Siri. And what did Siri tell me? Here's what she said. She said, I do not understand your question. Would you like me to search the web for an answer? Okay. You know, in so many ways, that is such a universal mindset and understanding. And here I am, the sexual rights educator, not quite certain, and this is no pun, what's my point of entry? Where do you even begin here? I mean, we were so past foreplay and so into the throes and the thick of things that I just had to get down to it. And we met with the staff and we talked. And we talked about their lack of clarity and we talked about their fears. The fear that if they permitted this activity, what would come to bear? They would be held responsible. The fear that if the couple was injured, either one of them or both, they would be held responsible. Look how tiny the beds are, they would say. If they even move left, right, or sideways, they're going to be on the floor. And they both have health problems. What happens if they break a hip? Okay. We moved out of that venue onto what happens if the family disagrees. All right. These were all legitimate concerns. But then, the gazillion dollar question. What happens when I go into the room to render evening care and the two of them are naked and they are in bed and they are doing things that I should not be seeing, that no one else should be seeing? And you know, that's when you take a step back for a second and you say, well, hold on a minute here. You know, I can intellectualize this, I can, you know, uh, legislate, I can legitimize, I can talk a blue streak about this, but the bottom line reality is they're the people walking into the room and seeing this, and quite frankly, if someone walked in on me or I walked in on someone else, I would think it would be a tad unnerving. So what do you do? And what we decided to do 
was come together and plan, what do you do? And we brought Nate and Fran in on the conversation because we weren't talking about them. We wanted to hear from them what they recommended. Nate, of all people, said, well, do you remember in the day when you were back in college and they used the sock on the door? Okay, this is Nate, mind you. You've got a room filled with people who have certifications, qualifications, you know, master's degrees, and all kinds of educational paperwork and credentialing, and Nate comes up with the sock on the door. <laughs> Lo and behold, we did apply a very similar concept. We used a yellow ribbon. We figured it was a tad more dignified, a tad more sedate, but it was a sign. It was a clear sign. Do not knock, do not disturb, and by all means, do not enter. <laughs> and that yellow ribbon is symbolic to this day for me. Yellow is now one of my favorite colors. <laughs> I want yellow roses, I want sunflowers, I want yellow in my life. Because what that did for me was transfer some of my fear to folly. And I don't mean folly in the sense that it's frivolous, but I do mean folly in the sense that where there's light, there's hope, that there is still life to be lived, there is still pleasure to be had, and there is still romance to be found. And at the Hebrew home, that's been an aha moment for me. And I look back on that with such gratitude and such faith and such hope. And I know that as the years go by and I am past the midpoint in my life, that I will continue to be a sexual rights educator, a sexpert, and talk about all things possible in spite of age. After all, it's only a number. Thank you. That was Robin Dessel. Robin has over 25 years of experience at the Hebrew home at Riverdale and oversees vision care, memory care, and sexual rights and expression. Robin co-authored the nation's first sexual rights policy for residential health care, recognizing the sexual rights of all residents, including those with dementia. For more science stories, take a look at storycollider.org, where we have archives of the podcast and upcoming events. We're coming soon to Pittsburgh, London, and New York City. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Wecht, Aaron Barker, and Ari Daniel. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth. Additional help from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, and Justin D'Ambrosio. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Littlefield for hosting the show, to Everyday Health for being wonderful partners, and to Chance for having us do a show on aging on my birthday. I know I said that last week, but I'm still not over it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>